Can Be New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hey, everybody, this is Ryan. Say hi. hi. Ryan's a good guy. Hey, uh, the reason he's up here today, before I get started here, is uh, Ryan has been kind of running a covert operation. And uh, as, as we have in New Life uh, uh, for the past year. And what I want to share with you today is something that we've kind of been keeping under wraps as far as what it actually is. Just because we wanted to make sure that we did it well. And we wanted to make sure that, uh, uh, that all the processes that we needed to go through um, just were seen, seen through. And so what it is, is about uh, two years ago I was in conversation with our national church office for Foursquare. And one of the things that they have seen is that when students graduate a Bible college or an ID type program, that they still, it's still difficult sometimes to get them actually placed into like a youth pastor position or a pastor position. So we developed something here called the MAP program, which is the Ministry Apprentice Program. And what it is, it's a one or two year extension beyond graduating Bible college or graduating the ID program. Um, and it's kind of like a residency like you guys would see if you were doing nursing, you'd have to kind of live there and kind of do the work. And so what we did a year ago is we placed Ryan as our associate youth pastor for the period of one year over there on Sunday mornings, and he was running all the services. And, uh, and actually, the National Church Office actually funded it. They believe in it that much. So I don't know if you're familiar with baseball, but do you know what a AAA team is? You know when they, they have these teams, and then the, the scouts go and they recruit out of those? You guys know what I'm talking about? We kind of have that here, and I can say that we were the first one in the country to do it, and I called Tammy Donahue, our vice president, and I said, just know, right now you have a 100% success rate, okay? Uh, So so tout it now, Uh, because we have something really exciting to announce that uh, a few weeks ago, Ryan Egley was just offered the position as the youth pastor of Corvallis Foursquare Church. Come on. So we are, boy, I got to tell you, that is so exciting that right here in our little town of Canby, um, because of you guys and your graciousness and just your willingness to really raise up young leaders, there's a young man that kind of grew up in the church, went through the youth group, went through discipleship, went through the ID program, went through the residency, and now is going to be placed in just a couple weeks down in Corvallis. So we really appreciate him. What we want to do today is we want to send him off well. So you can go ahead and write all your checks to Ryan Egley. It's, no, okay. We want to, <laughs> he's going to need it down there, right? Uh, uh, so what we want to do, seriously, though, is we want to extend our hands in prayer and just send him off really, really well. He is well-loved. He'll still be very much in partnership with us. Corvallis is not that too far away. Sorry, Ducks fans. He's going to Corvallis. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there we go. Yay! Uh, but we, are, but we uh, want to send him off well. So would you just extend your hands out to him, and, and we just want to agree together. Lord, we're so thankful for Ryan. And what he represents, Lord God, is a man called by you, Lord Jesus, even as a, a young person, Lord God, um, that is just drawn to you and drawn to a certain purpose for a certain time, Lord God. We thank you for him and his faithfulness at taking every step he needed to take, even since a teenager, Lord God, uh, to, to walk forward and towards this call. Lord, it's so wonderful that when a young person hears a call in their life, that they never forget it, and they keep walking in that direction, Lord Jesus. 
We also thank you for the ability we have here, Lord God, to raise up good leaders. And we know that's all you, Lord Jesus. So right now, we agree together as a congregation. We agree together as a family, Lord God. Uh, And we agree with you, Lord God, when you tell us to send away our best, that that's truly what we're doing, Lord God. So we just pray a blessing over him, great fruitfulness, and a great future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, God. Well, I'm excited about being here uh, today. Happy Father's Day. Did anybody get breakfast in bed this morning? All the people that aren't here right now are having breakfast in bed right now. That's what's happening. Uh, we are, uh, I, I'm excited about going through the book of Esther and, and uh, spending some time. You know, I went down and got my water bottle because one of the things about Speaking is you've got to stay hydrated, especially if you're going to do three services. You know, something that Ron taught me and you see in, in lots of pastors, you have to stay hydrated. Now, the, the problem with staying hydrated and being 48 years old is you have to go to the bathroom a lot. So my poor wife, she has to deal with me, and I'm like, honey, i got to go to the bathroom again. And running in and out, and last night I did that again, and then when I came back in, Jeremy Wallace coined a new phrase for me. He says, sometimes you've got to get past the annoying to get to the anointing. So... <laughs> That's what I'm doing, you know? If you get distracted, just go and, right? All the guys over 40 are like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're excited to be here. I'm excited that we get to talk about what we're talking about today um, because it's a great story. And really what we're going to talk about, the the title of the message today is for for such a time as this, and it's it's the story of Esther. But before I get started here, I kind of want to ask you a question, and I I know some of you, I know like a Ben Clifton would be really interested in this and some other people. You ever see those shows where how stuff works? You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like, yeah, right? Ben's like, "Mm mm-hmm. I do too. I'm really intrigued by those. I mean, I know how they make Cheerios. I know how they make Kool-Aid, all these different things. But it's really intriguing when you see the ones of how this actually works. And, uh, And studying for this, I really began to explore how a combination lock works. And it's really interesting how that all comes together. You know, like a dial one that you would get into a safe or a bike lock, a master lock. And it's different than a key lock because a key lock is something that you would take the key and it's, it's grinded in a certain way. So that way when you push it in, it pushes the things out of the way. And that's, that's what it is. It's more of an invasive thing to where a key would, would be inserted and then turned. But a combination lock is different. And the way that a combination lock works is that it has the dial, obviously, in the front. And then it has a a pin in there that's connected to three discs. And also sitting up in a different place is a bar that's just ready to drop. It's ready to move. It's ready to unlock the lock. But the problem is, is that the three discs are in the way. And so when you... When you take a combination lock and you turn it, you know how you have to turn it twice? You guys have all, you know, gone to high school and you know how getting in your lockers, you have to turn it twice. And every time you mess up, you got to turn it twice past zero again. The reason is, is because you have to catch all three of the discs to get them spinning. And so what happens is when you turn twice past zero, you catch all three discs and you get to that first number. And what's happening in that first number is that first disc is lining up because each of the discs has a little notch in it, a little empty space. And so then when you turn it back the other way, you have to go all the way past that number again to catch both discs again, and you go to the second number, which causes the second disc to line up the notch with the first. 
And then, of course, on the very last one, you've already got the third disc, and you turn it to the right, and it moves that disc to the third notch. And as soon as all three notches, as soon as all three empty spaces are lined up, the bar drops, and the lock is opened. We'll talk more about that later. But first, I want to catch you up to the story of Esther. I am going to give you a brief rundown of what Esther is. You can actually read Esther just a few chapters long in in one sitting. It's pretty easy. Or you can rent the VeggieTales movies if you want to and see it that way. Um, But I want to try to catch us up to where we want to start today. So if you'll just follow me really quickly. First of all, Esther starts with a six-month party. King Xerxes is quite the party animal. He's very rich, uh, oversees 127 provinces. Um, He's he's a a pretty powerful dude. And so a six-month party is just, hey, we're having a six-month party. And the six-month party is followed up with a seven-day after party, all put on by the powerful King Xerxes. He requests the presence of his queen during this time, and she refuses. And through counsel, he decides to banish her. And it's important to note that Xerxes is often influenced by counsel and not always in a good way. Now, on the other side of the story, before this is happening, let's back up a little bit, and we have this little girl named Hadassah or Esther, and she is orphaned. Her mother and father pass away, and she is basically adopted by her uncle Mordecai. Okay, so now fast forward back to Xerxes again. He has banished his queen, so guess what? He's in search for a new queen. Well, guess what? By this time, Esther is grown, and she is presented before him, and she becomes his queen. He is very entranced with her. But all the while, her uncle Mordecai is also working his way up into the kingdom and kind of hanging out with everybody and doing some things there. But Esther is keeping her Jewish heritage in secret, according to what Mordecai had told her. Then the king appoints this really bad dude named Haman, And as his own personal right-hand guy, which is kind of his prime minister. And Xerxes decrees that everyone needs to bow to him because he's obviously his right-hand guy. But Mordecai, because he is Jewish, refuses and this infuriates Haman. Haman doesn't just settle the score with Mordecai alone. As a matter of fact, he knows that Mordecai is a Jew, so he decides that he wants to create a decree and convinces Xerxes to do this to wipe out and exterminate all the Jews. He basically tells Xerxes, if he's going to do this, then they're all going to do this, and we need to wipe out the entire race. Basically, it was the onset of what we might consider a holocaust. They cast lots to find out which date that this will happen, and it is set for about a year ahead. So the drama and the stage begins to be set. I got to tell you, VeggieTales ain't got nothing on me. We did that in four minutes. Right? So through an exchange of information, Mordecai gets word to Queen Esther about this decree. And that's where we find in chapter 4, The famous words that really embody the book of Esther, and they're all ones we're very familiar with. And that's where Mordecai says, What's more, who can say but that you have been elevated to the palace for such a time as this? That's the big drama of Esther. It's leading up to that place and such a time for this. But I have a question for you. And really, as I was reading, such a time for what? What exactly is it a time for? 
And that's what we're going to read about today. That's what we're going to study today. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin to open your word, this anchor in our lives, Lord Jesus, as we begin to study and read what you have designed to be recorded by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, we pray that it is life to us. Pray that it is more than just text, more than just a verse to memorize, a story to tell, but it is an anchor to our soul, Lord God, and that it is life-breathing, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your word and your name. Amen. Now, we're going to explore this because I would propose to you that Esther was a very brave woman. There's no question about that. Her response in all this wasn't exact, but her response in this moment, okay, when her people were going to be exterminated, wasn't exactly a Joan of Arc or Wonder Woman moment. Sometimes we think of Queen Esther, think da 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 da, and charging. That's not really what happened. It wasn't about Esther getting things done, it was really about Esther getting out of the way and letting God move. And what's so interesting is that uh, the only book in the Bible, the book of Esther, that does not mention the word God is so very much all about what he did during that time, what time it was. The first thing as we begin to go through this is uh, how Esther immediately responds to this, this notice that her entire people, including her, would be wiped from all these provinces. They'd be wiped out. Her first response in that was pretty interesting because for her, such a time as this was a time for humility. You see, Esther's reply wasn't a charge on the city gates. It wasn't a panic and a flee to the hills either. What it was, it was a call to fast. You see, when Esther first heard this, she told Mordecai, tell my people to fast. We must fast and pray. We must be repentant. We must check our own hearts and deny our own selves. Basically, that's what she is saying. And when you think about this, that's a pretty bold move. That's a pretty trusting move is what it is. When you think about anything in your own life and, and you know the enemy is coming against you in this way or that way, guess what? Our first inkling, to, because we're humans, is to rise up, is to take control, is to change the situation, is to protect, isn't it? Yet Esther knew it was a time for humility. And she said, fast, pray. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and it's a very famous verse. We all probably know it. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Isn't it interesting how often we want to fix our sin and we want to heal our land? But God's purposes are bigger than ours. God's promises are bigger than ours. The promises God gives to us are bigger than the promises we make to other people. 
He's got a much bigger plan, a much better plan. We get to have glimpses of it, yes, and I'm so thankful for that. But how often do we step up and become the plan for God? And we begin to take control, and we begin to try to maneuver, and we begin to try to fix things. But that call to repentance does something very specific in Esther, in in this whole situation, and in our lives as well. You know what it does when we bow, and we fast, and we pray when faced with a situation? It makes room for God's view. It makes room for God to be able to see over our often proud heads. (laughs) Because we're that way. And we love God and we want to move forward and we want to do things for God. But sometimes I feel, most of the time, I feel God just says, you know what? I got a plan. You repent of your own stuff. You You just bow before me. You just fast because I want to be able to see clearly over your backs. And I'll tell you what, one of the most glorious things that God can see is a bowed people. Is a people bowing and praying and humbled before him. The scripture is full of examples of this. And that's what Esther did. As she began to hear this terrible news, her first inkling again wasn't to attack It was to repent. It was to bow. It was to fast and pray. Hmm. There is no better place to begin any journey. There's no better place to face any challenge. No better way to withstand any adversity than with your head bowed and your heart repentant before the Lord. That gives our God room to see. Amen? The second thing that happened with Esther is she understood that it was a time for patience. And here's what I mean by that. Her second step was not to run and cry out to the king. We see this. If you read the story, it's all in one little chunk. If you read this, what happens is after this, the king actually comes to her and says, My queen, ask me anything. What would you have me do? Even up to half my kingdom. Now, that sounds like a pretty open door. You know how we pray, like, God, open the door, right? We always say that, God, open the door. To me, that sounds like a pretty open door. But Esther doesn't tell him. Esther does not say anything. As a matter of fact, what Esther does in that moment is Esther invites him to dinner the next night. Here he is. His scepter uh, stretched out. Queen, anything you want. She's just heard her people are going to be eradicated. The open door is there and she goes, come to dinner, a banquet tomorrow night. And so that's a great (laughs) example of patience. And then the king comes and at the banquet, guess what he does again? He says, Esther, let me ask you again. Now, there's two open doors. Must be confirmation, right? So you would think that Esther at this moment would say, oh, okay, yes, yes, now's the time. But you know what she does? She invites him to another dinner. And there is, I think there's a very specific purpose in this. And we have to pay close attention to this. Because Psalm 37 says this. Now listen carefully. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. 
when they carry out their wicked schemes. God does not tell us to battle and fight and change and destroy when people are wicked. He says, be still and wait on him because his is the vengeance. His is the justice. And here we have this situation where Esther is waiting something out. Because you know what she's doing in this moment? And you know what we need to know to do in those moments? Is we need to make room for God's timing. Oh my goodness. We can get so passionate about God. And we can even know and understand how he's moving and what he's doing. But you know where we can really blow it? On trying to change the timing. Right thing, wrong time. Bad situation. Amen? And what's so interesting about that is how excited we get when God, when we know God's moving, because we do know his purposes. We know he wants great things for our life. But I ask this question. If you were to have somebody build a house for you, and you were to say to them, I trust you with the design, with the materials, with the placement, with how many bedrooms, it's all yours, builder. And that's kind of what we say to God. It's all yours. And we tell this builder, money's no object, you build it, you tell me what we're going to do. And then you say to them, and I want it Thursday. Not going to happen. Because if you're going to trust someone with a plan, you have got to trust someone with their timing. If you're going to put your whole heart into, into giving something over to somebody, you've got to say in your time. And the same is true with God. When we say, God, please do this. When we say, you've, you've got to add in there, in your timing, in your timing. You see, timing for us is just how many times the earth passes around the sun and how many times the sun or the, the earth turns around. That's how we denote time. But God is eternal. He's the master of time. He's got a far better view on what it's going to take to do certain things than we ever will. Because we're on a clock. God's not. So having that patience, exerting that patience for anything that God is doing in our life, as Esther did, is crucial. As crucial as his purpose is the process of his timing. So over the course of the next hours, the tables begin to turn in this whole story with Esther. And Mordecai is, is actually exalted and he's honored. And I will tell you this, and I think this is important to note for this story, that although the story of Mordecai, especially if you're watching the VeggieTales version, uh, is pretty, it's kind of poetic justice. Oh yeah, the bad Haman and this. And, and, and can I say this? It's not really about revenge. This story is really not about, ah, they got old Haman. That's not what the story is really about. Because you got to understand that as this happens, even as the tables begin to turn, where Mordecai becomes kind of a hero in some ways, that there's still this decree to destroy all of God's people out there. So here we have Esther, who's exhibited this great amount of humility, who moved into a time and a season of great patience. But then it becomes a time for trust. That's a big one. During this turn of events, the king asks Esther again, what is your request? 
anything you would ask of me, even up to half my kingdom. And then the words were finally spoken from Esther. And she begins to tell King Xerxes that these are her people, that she's a Jew. They're about to be eradicated and eliminated. And she sticks her neck out. Now, we have to remember, King Xerxes, you are dead if he did not stretch his scepter out to you when you were around him. And you made any kind of request if you approached him, even the queen. So for her to say that, and I'm sure it was with a quivering, humble voice, basically, probably figuratively and, and, and not figuratively, she probably was stretching out her neck. And she was either going to be blessed or she was going to be dead. But it was a complete time for trust. A complete time for her to trust that it was her God that would give justice. It was her God that loved his people. It was not her. It was not Mordecai. It was not the armies. It was no one but her God that would protect them. And she stretched out her words and did not boldly proclaim in faith, but instead she humbly requested in trust. King David wrote this uh, in, in 2 Samuel. He basically said this. He said in, in Samuel 22, verses 2 and 3, 2 Samuel, he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior from violent people. You save me. Now I want to stay on the word trust here for a moment because this is very, very important to the context of the story and to the context of our lives. In that portion of scripture, the term in whom I take refuge is really in the King James is the word trust, which in the Hebrew language is the word chasah. See if you can say that without spinning on somebody. Chasa. Sorry, Adi, I think I just. Say it one more time. Chasa. Chasa. I heard somebody like, chasa. I love the Jewish language. But what this word means, now listen here. This is very, very important. What that word means, trust, means to hide in and find refuge in. It's different than the word faith. Think about how many times we associate faith and trust with exactly the same thing. Can I tell you something? In the Hebrew and in the Greek, and in almost every instance, the term faith means confidence, steadfastness, to stand tall in, to depend on, to, to really say, yes, I've got this. That's what faith is. But trust is, oh Lord, I don't know, but give me your wing because I need to hide under it. It is a hiding. It is a complete dependency on. Why those two things are important to note because yes, we do have both. Yes, they run parallel lines. But there is a time to be bold and faithful and there is a time to hide under the wing of the Lord. Amen? And we have to be willing to do that because I believe that faith 
kind of helps us feel like God's our gas. You know what I mean? We're going forward. And, and that's awesome because God wants us to move forward. But trust makes him our steering wheel. Trust takes us completely out of the driver's seat. If you're a parent and you've ever had kids in driver's ed, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> trust means you have no more control. And that's really what Esther was doing. She said those words. She did not demand or proclaim. She requested. And she put it out there for the Lord. She put it out there for the king. The reason she did that is because she had to make room for God's move. Can I tell you this? If you want to make room for God's move, have trust. If you really want to see God move, you've got to trust him. And that, people, and in my own heart, believe me, I'm, I'm with you, is probably the single most difficult thing for me to do as a believer. I got great faith. I got great hope. I got great excitement. I got great passion. I got all those other words. But trust that's hard. But I think about the Lord and how he feels about us. And I wonder how he feels when we trust. See, I think he's very proud of us when we have faith. He admires us when we have faith. He celebrates us when we have faith. But oh my goodness, I think his heart is so moved when we trust. When you think about that, if you're a parent, and you understand when you give your kid a pat on the back or you applaud them as they graduate high school, graduate college, when they do these great things, those are all awesome. But you also remember when they were a baby, when they were a little kid and hopped up in your lap and didn't know anything. Very similar feelings, but two very different feelings. And I think that's the heart of a father God. When we hop in his lap and we say, it's all you, daddy. There's, a, there's just a certain thing I know that happens in his heart that is like no other. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. And if we as God's people, as parents, grandparents, know that love of holding that child, why wouldn't we give that to our heavenly father? Why wouldn't you give him that great joy, that great love? Just say, Dad, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. How often do we walk in this trust? Do we have faith that God will provide when we write out our tithe check, or do we have trust? <laughs> do we have faith when we send our kids off to college so they can see all the wonderful and fulfill all the wonderful expectations and dreams that we have for them? <laughs> or do we have trust that they were gods before they got to us and as they leave our homes, they're still gods? All the things that have been going on in the church over the past couple of weeks, do we have great faith that God's gonna accomplish some great things? Sure. But do we have trust that it's his church, his community, we're his people. I think Esther stood in a great amount of trust, and that's really the crux of the story today, 
is this impeccable amount of trust to say, God, not your will, but mine. Humility, patience for God's timing, and trust for him to move. That is how we see God's purposes come into being. As we start with those three things. Now how we can apply that to our daily lives, our daily walk. Do you know that there's miracles every single moment? We read the book of Esther and it's this great, you know, this historical thing that happened. But did you know that there are little books of Esther in your life every day? In even 30 second and 5 minute intervals? That in every encounter, whether it be at work or with your kids or in the community or whatever it is, whatever turmoil that may be coming, you have a moment to stop instantly and say, you know what, i got to be humble about this. Okay, God, it's about your timing and I trust you. You have it in every conversation. You have it in every trip to the grocery store. You have it in every family gathering. Every time you show up to work. Every time you try to figure out what is God doing. If you land on humility patience and trust, God will move because he has a plan and he has a purpose. It's our job to line up because most of the time we don't have to help God along the way. Most of the time we just have to get out of the way. When we think about the three things that I just spoke about, Think about them as kind of a combination. That as you turn the dial and you try to figure out the combination to unlock whatever God has, unlock whatever you're facing, think about turning that dial first to that place of humility and creating a little gap and then spinning once again to the other number, which is patience, to create another gap. And then when you line it up with complete trust, that last number on the combination lock, and that pin drops in, and that lock opens, it's a miracle every single time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for you. Hmm. Dad, we are thankful for you. On this day, Father, we wish you happy Father's Day. And we say to you, Lord, that we want to trust you. We place our pride in your hands. We place our own timing in your hands. We place our own doubt in your hands and we ask you to help us in all of those things. With your head still bowed and you may be in this place today. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you've come a few weeks. I, I don't know. But you may be sitting there as well and, and there's been something stirring in your heart about this man named Jesus, about this God that we always talk about here at church. And maybe you're that person that hasn't saw that, in, that encounter through yet. Maybe you haven't had that real encounter with, with God, with Christ. But you've been hearing a lot about it. And you may be at a place this morning where you're ready to meet Jesus. If that's you in this place, I don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to point you out. 
but we do want to serve you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to give you something. So if that is you in this room, would you, would you just quietly lift your hand up? Nobody's looking around. We just want to acknowledge you, this place. <laughs> See your hand. Thank you. Just keep that thing that was handed to you because that is just some very new basic steps after salvation. But more importantly, we want to meet you. Let's keep our heads bowed. So we're going to pray in a second. I just want to say to those that raise their hand, we want to meet you. Salvation is not just about a, a prayer or a decision. It's about an encounter and a beginning of community, a beginning of discipleship. So we're here to serve you in that walk. You come find us. You come talk to us. Let's agree together this morning with those that are meeting Jesus. Let's say this prayer together. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting me here. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> and I thank you that you would meet someone like me and want to lead me and guide me and direct me. Jesus, help me to turn away from all that was and turn towards all that will be. In your precious name, amen. Amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503 266 4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.